You're listening to Soundbite, a podcast that's food for your ears. I'm Celine Roberts. This week, I met with Dee Stubblefield at Artisan Cafe to talk coffee. Dee is a barista who has worked at coffee shops all over Pittsburgh, and soon will be losing her to counterculture coffee in Philly. Before her next adventure, I asked her to reflect on life behind the counter, on everything from customer service to developing a palate to making coffee an inviting place for everyone. Here we go. My name is Dee. I'm known in Pittsburgh uh, as a barista at Tazadoro. And I'm leaving soon to go be a customer wholesale rep uh, for Counterculture Coffee in Philadelphia. So, yay. Which is your dream job? It is. It's kind of my dream job. It's like working with coffee shops and working with human beings who enjoy coffee and who want to learn more about making good coffee and me learning more about making good coffee. So it's awesome. And how long have you been working in coffee? uh, I'd say about six years. Six years, yeah. Um, I've been working with Taza for about three and a half, and then I worked for Crazy Mocha for a little bit. And so, yeah, it's been an interesting journey (laughs) through coffee, accidentally, you know, hopping into it because I needed a job, and then just kind of, like, really enjoying the atmosphere and the people and learning a lot about customer service and what motivates people to purchase the things that they're purchasing or care about something that is kind of becoming a luxury item in this country and its world so yeah um, coffee's been an interesting thing for me and it's it's been a really interesting journey getting to this point where you know you're not working in a shop anymore you're working with shops and for a roaster so yeah I'm gonna be interested I'm hoping we can maybe check in at some point in the future when you're in your new life yeah doing not hands-off stuff, but stuff right, that's right. a little farther or away from behind the counter. Right. What I want to talk to you about today is that coffee life. Right. It's a, yeah, I, it's interesting. I don't think, um, like, whenever I listen to, like, podcasts or see people getting, I mean, interviewed about coffee, it's always, like, a from a production standpoint or from an ownership standpoint. And I think both those things are really important, but they're also it seems like nobody really talks to like the actual person who stands behind a counter and who you know makes coffee and who uh, remembers a customer's names and their preferences and their you know whatever nobody really notices them and they're really the people that I feel like make coffee as successful as it has been you know fair trade beans are awesome but if you don't have a good barista behind them making them you know what is it I just think I have a very big piece of my heart goes to like actual baristas who are work so hard to learn latte art and who you know work so hard to you know make the perfect chemex or who educate themselves constantly and try to push themselves constantly so that not only a shop looks good or an owner looks good but a roaster looks good and a customer is like deeply satisfied with that and keeps coming back so yeah, baristas are like the first line of, I think, defense in the coffee industry, and I don't think they get as much love as they should, so. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so similar to being a bartender, mm-hmm. except at, like, the opposite end of the day. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I have a favorite bartender that this guy, whenever he's working, I will go 
like try to get at least one drink from him because he's that good. It makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel welcomed. You know, he knows little parts about my life, but then he's helping other people. He's a great multitasker. He's good at his job, and coffee is not as um, thought about like that, you know, as bartending is. But it's essentially like this, a very similar kind of thing, um, and it's a very similar kind of hustle. So, what does your typical day behind the bar look like? <laughs> um, so I get up before the crow or the what is it the rooster <laughs> and I get up really early um and I work at uh Carnegie Mellon Tazadoro so it's a really busy shop kind of insane it's like eight of us on staff it's probably most intense <laughs> uh physical job that I've done like really running around um and so then there's like the whole setup of the shop and you're getting things together um and then you open and it's multitasking like a mofo you're on bar you've got a line of drinks you're making you know drinks and you're talking to customers your regulars your new customers orders coming in orders going out it's a lot um it's hard to just wrap up and tie it a bow it's not as simple like there's a lot of um mental gymnastics that i feel like brisses uh go through especially like being at like really busy shops um and you know shops have their peak times usually in the morning summer and the evenings but uh usually it's like the morning and the weekends are like you know prime time at coffee shops and there's a lot of mental gymnastics that you have to do there's a lot of uh you know, remembering what somebody gets uh, as a beverage, remembering their preference for beverages, remembering even, you know, their kids' names. <laughs> like, there's a lot of uh, information that you just subconsciously consume and can regurgitate because, uh, one, I find that it makes my time go by faster knowing these little details. Then again, it also, uh, it makes the environment I think less about the exchange of money for product and more about the exchange of, you know, human connection. And that's a, that's probably my favorite part about coffee is how it connects like people. Yeah. So that's like a, a normal day. It's just, you know, all about multitasking, just doing what feels like 5 million things at once, especially when you're busy. Um, but yeah, and it's a constant learning process. It's constantly, you're learning about, the you know different brewing methods and and as what a blend looks like and what a single origin looks like and why those things are different and um and that's like a big part of uh, third wave coffee is just because now coffee instead of it being a commodity in first wave where Folgers and it's in your diners and it's at your house and you're drinking coffee so you can get up and go 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 now coffee is you know just as uh just as interesting and complex as like wine or tea or craft you know uh beer or whiskey it's there's that much care and science and thought put into a bean so when a shop especially a third wave shop gets it not only are we just giving you a latte dude we're like giving you a latte that's like perfectly dialed in and, and prepared to perfection and also on top of that we're going to give you a heart or a tulip or a swan in it and so that takes a lot that's a lot of work to be able to do that before we go on 
I'd like you to get an idea of the kind of precision D is talking about. So here's a brief interlude with Tyler Bryan, owner of Artisan Cafe, as he tells us how to make the perfect rosetta in milk foam. Uh, a latte for here. We are using uh, 10 ounce cups, these guys right here. Um, these ones are especially designed for latte air. Uh, the main thing you're looking for that makes latte air easier is the curvature of the cup. So since these are more of like a rounded shape, uh, latte air is all about the movements and currents that you create uh, in your crema and in your coffee. So uh, most of the times when you're doing latte air, uh, where you sort of like would draw, as, as you kind of call it, like draw your design, uh, is not necessarily where it stays in the cup. You're really trying to push the designs and push your lines to kind of form your image. So you're especially gonna see that with the Rosetta. Uh, Rosetta is supposed to sort of be like big flowy and kind of like wrap around your cup and kind of come into like a, a flowery kind of shape. Uh, and most of that's made from just like moving your pitcher a couple inches, but it's still gonna end up furling around the like entire width of your cup and getting like a big, big pitcher there. So we're going to start off uh, getting our espresso all together. Uh, so coffee surface just stays intact. So the more crema you can have, kind of the, the more, um, more canvas you have, kind of is the best way to describe it. You can draw your image on. So get that going. Can you define crema for me? A crema is, um, it's sort of the top layer of your espresso. It's kind of like a foamy substance. Uh, it's this like thick, really, um, sorry, this part of the me a little bit. It's hard to talk to one. <laughs> so yeah, the crema is basically like your fluffy little brown stuff on the top of your, uh, your espresso. Uh, so we're going to get our milk foamed and we want it to be a very slick, uh, silky kind of texture. Now it's almost like a uh, wet paint consistency to say to look for. So we'll take the crema and we'll start pouring here. Uh, and you'll see the white dot, you'll see start to form like right about there, how we got the little white dot. So that sort of means that you've met sort of your equilibrium between your espresso and your milk and you can kind of start doing your design. So then we're gonna start pouring. And you get a rosetta. You kind of want to start it like uh, as soon as you can and the longer you wait after uh, frothing your milk, uh, the more the milk kind of settles and becomes uh, less malleable. So it's like a little bit thicker and it's a little bit harder to make your designs with. But... Sorry, I messed up your flow by forcing you to talk <laughs> to me. It's fine. No, it's all right. <laughs> it's all good. Okay. Now back to D. So now I need to ask you to back up about five steps. Yeah. <laughs> because you just got deep jargon. I know. <laughs> um, Very jargony. But that's great. So yeah. now we can walk back through it because I feel like all of these words that sound like jargon to me yeah. are obviously really They're important to very, yeah. people who care about coffee. Mm -hmm. So let's start basic. Let's go blend versus single origin. So single origin is uh, a, a batch of beans. And I'm also like totally paraphrasing this because, you know, I forgot my barista handbook today. Uh, but single origin just means that these beans came from one farm. Okay, so if it's a farm in Colombia, they came from this single lot on this single farm in Colombia. Whereas a blend is you could have that farm from Colombia and you can match it with some beans from Guatemala or you can match it with some other beans from, um, you know, Ethiopia. That's what a blend is. The, it doesn't just come from one place. It comes from several places. And so specialty coffee is really into less about the blends and more about the single origin 
Is there a reason for that? Um, just because I, I feel like my automatic association, even outside of the field, mm-hmm. is like, oh, blends are kind of lame. And- I mean, yeah. I feel like it's a more interesting story. Because, again, and I guess this is maybe jargony, too, where coffee's getting into not only, like, the single origin, but they're also, you know, giving a shit about the farmer. They're giving a shit about, you know, if it's organic. Uh, fair trade is a huge thing and has been. Um, and so when you pair that bean with the story of, you know, the farmer or the farm or where it came from that's a way more interesting narrative than like oh we got some beans from these three farms and threw it in a bag and we're selling it to you for like 15 bucks I think and also I think single origins you know because coffee is like not only regional regionally coffees can take different but then also even on one farm coffees can taste different based on like soil and elevation and like all these other kind of uh these things that go into how it tastes or the way it's roasted or whatnot and I think it's pretty cool to say oh this is a single origin from this farm that tastes specifically like this that has these flavor notes where you could get the same type of coffee from the same farm the next year and it'll taste completely different and that's kind of the magic of the single origin in my opinion so are you willing, and you can say no, obviously, but are you willing to generalize about coffees from different regions, like the same way that people do about wine? So like South African coffee right. tends to be right. such and such. Uh, I used to. I used to do that a lot. Um, I used to, I, uh, my palate, I don't really care for things that are highly acidic, and so you know, for a while it was like anything out of Ethiopia, no, too floral, too acidic, too light. Uh, but I don't think so. I think that you gotta like let that go. Um, I have let that go. I don't think, I don't like to generalize because there's so many things out of our control that will make a coffee taste a certain type of way. I had a coffee once that um, I made like a pour over uh, Hario B60 you can get that on Amazon um, and it tasted like legit tasted like a spaghetti dinner like it was like garlicky and very vegetal and but it was from Ethiopia so <laughs> it's not floral it's not so no I don't like to pigeonhole coffees um, I like to taste them and then pigeonhole them <laughs> how does one go about developing their palate as a barista um, yeah Honestly, I'd say probably time is your best friend. Like, uh, you're, you know, trial and error. Um, I had a, in college, I had a friend who used to tell me, when you drink a really good, you know, whiskey or beer or have a really good steak, you're going to know what a shitty steak or beer or wine or whatever tastes like. And that's similar to coffee because when you taste a well, a very good, shot of espresso one that's like really balanced and you know one that is like with fresh coffee you're gonna know the difference it's just gonna taste completely different than any other thing that you've experienced and so that's as a barista or even as a consumer that's all you can do is just try to um, drink all the things (laughs) and drink things like you know when I got trained um 
at Taza and even through counterculture, like they make you taste a bad shot. So you know what it tastes like and you can identify, oh, this is bad because of A, B, C, and D. And then you taste a good shot and you're like, oh, well, I could see the difference between the two. So that's really, I think, the best way. It's just kind of like trial and error. I'm going to go back to the idea of coffee and wine being sort of similar. Mm-hmm. Do you find that new wave coffee, so, you know, a market where you're focusing on single origin and you're focusing on, like, peak freshness and right. all of these gadgets and tools and flavor profiles, mm-hmm. do you find that that can be inaccessible for people? Uh, yeah, definitely, like, uh, more so on a class level than maybe a racial level or maybe especially economically it's like it could be kind of alienating you know you have uh, this, the mill worker in Braddock who like just wants a you know effing black muddy cup of water like you know he doesn't give a shit that I just like dialed this in or just kind of like you know took time to figure out how or you know how much water how much pressure how much this or that is going to make it taste good he just wants some coffee dude and so it, I mean, it can be, but then it also, I feel like that's where customer service comes in. It can also be a really inviting thing. You know, it can also, like I like to tell people, especially like construction workers, when they come in, they're like, I want a dark roast coffee, just something roasted and just roasty and roasty. And I'll be like, oh, we do like a light, you know, a, a medium roast, which still allows for some, you know, max flavor. But then also you're still getting caffeine because the more you roast a bean, the more caffeine's taken out of it. And even me just telling him that and giving him a black cup of coffee, he learned something and he's like, oh, well, that's cool. You know, I learned something about coffee, even subconsciously. So I think, um, yeah, socially it could be really alienating. I mean, uh, coffee, not only in Pittsburgh, but coffee in this country especially is very white. It's very dominated by straight white men. Um, it is a struggle to be a woman of color in an industry that is super white, straight, male-dominated because I really believe like representation matters. I believe that you know me being a woman of color and looking at you know other women of color and being like, there's a whole industry over here where you can you know work hard, but that also needs your voice because they don't have it like it's very little um and so you know that can be i think hard for people who are categorized as other in any type of way um to i think enjoy the coffee environment because it is nominated by straight white dudes which is can be kind of frustrating no shade to straight white dudes but like yo that's like be mad frustrating you know so um, and also the cost of coffee can be very alienating, you know, there's a cost that comes with the preparation and $3 for a 16 ounce cup of coffee can be hard for people to wrap their minds around, especially when you can go to get-go or sheets and get one, you know, 24 ounce for $1. Um, so yeah, I just think there is a part of it that could be very alienating, but whenever I think my job as a barista sometimes is maybe being that example and being like it could be alienating but I'm still here and I'm still fighting to be here what does that look like for you just show, like fighting to be here does that mean like 
showing up to work every well, day because that's the type of fight. Oh, yeah. Well, the, it's that and then being twice as good to get half as far. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a black woman and like you, that's like ingrained in you from birth. And so for me, that translates into coffee is, you know, I don't need to be the best, but I need to know what I'm doing. And I constantly need to be learning and I constantly need to be bettering myself. And I, you know, that's kind of where the fight is. It's not so much in, um, you know, making the best latte art, just being able to know how and being able to know how to brew all these different kinds of coffee to even be interested in learning about roasting. So that's where the fight is. It's just kind of like I, my grandfather used to say, whatever you are, be a good one. And I'm just trying to be the best I can be for my taste. <laughs> so that's that's kind of the fight. On that note, for people who feel like, you know, they're like, I'm a barista, I'm really loving what I'm doing. Yeah. You're at the point where you're sort of moving on in your career to yeah. like the next step. Oh yeah, totally. Do you have advice for people who are wanting to get serious about coffee, either as a consumer or as someone who's behind the bar or someone who's, right. you know, selling it to the public about things that they, like fun things they can do yeah. to up their game? I don't know, I think as a, probably like as a barista I think that's more where my heart is um I mean as a consumer I'd just be like go to coffee shops like go spend your money go support small businesses that do this really amazing thing um and I think as a barista I would just say talk like talk to people like get to know people like reach out if you see another barista doing something really cool reach out go to different shops like go you know make a point to like know who owns what and versus work where because it is a community just work on your craft and try to be the best you can be and look for opportunities elsewhere because i mean pittsburgh's awesome but i think the coffee industry is like really growing here and i feel like it's it's getting it's awesome but for jobs to make this your career it's it's not there yet Hopefully you'll come and check back in with us. <laughs> Hopefully. About your high-powered adventures. <laughs> right. No, oh, God. Coffee. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Give me food. That's what I want. A producer's note. This is something that can't be said enough. It is nominated by straight white dudes, which is, can be kind of frustrating. No shade to straight white dudes, but like, yo, that's like, be mad frustrating, you know?